If you would join me in your Bible tonight for just a moment, three portions of Scripture to begin with, and I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter number 41, and uh, this has nothing to do with the message series on Sunday out of the book of Genesis, but if you would please, I I found a, a nugget there I'd like to leave with you tonight just for a moment, and when you find your place there, if you'd kind of look over in the New Testament at 1 Corinthians 6, kind of hold your place there, 1 Corinthians 6. And when you find that, you just kind of flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll be, we'll be looking at all, four, all three of those scriptures tonight for just, just a moment. A mother was preparing a salad for the evening, for the evening meal. And little Ken walked in and asked permission to go with a few friends to an X-rated movie. Ken knew what his mother and father felt about X-rated movies, and they would not allow the kids to go to anything uh, rougher than a PG movie. But Ken thought that just this one time, since some of his friends were going, that his mother would allow him to go with the friends just this one time. So while Ken was in the kitchen, Mom walked over to the cupboard and got some trash, small pieces of trash, and began to put in the salad. And uh, Ken said, Mom, what are you doing? She said, just a little won't hurt. Ken said, I got the, I got the picture. How much trash would you have in your salad? I'd like to talk to you tonight about this. You are in charge. Take a look at at the book of Genesis just a minute. And it's it's a great story. The story is about Joseph. Joseph has been in the dungeon now, falsely accused. Pharaoh has had a dream. Dream of seven fat kind and seven poor kind and seven beautiful ears of corn and seven very, very shoddy pieces of corn, ears of corn. And he just not understand what the dream is. And the one that had been delivered out of the dungeon, Joseph had interpreted a dream for him. And he told a king about Joseph. Joseph could interpret the dream. No one else in all the land could. And so Joseph, rightly so, said, No, I cannot, but God can. Wouldn't it be great if we'd give God the glory for a lot of things instead of blaming him for all the things that goes wrong? Uh, And Joseph said, No, no, I can't do it, but uh, my God, he can interpret the dream. He already knows what it is. So Joseph interpreted the dream and told Pharaoh there's going to be seven plus years, seven years of fruitfulness, and then there'll be seven years of famine like Egypt has never seen before or witnessed. And Joseph said, now, king, it would be wise to put somebody over the kingdom and during those seven fruitful years to lay aside 
one-fifth or 20% of everything and put it in store all those seven years. Don't waste it. Don't spend it. Put it in store and you will have enough those seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh said, well, where will I find a man who is discreet and wise enough to do that? Verse 39 of chapter number 41. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Joseph, you are in charge. Completely, Joseph, you are in charge. Only I, the king, shall be over you. Isn't that the way it ought to be in our life? We are in charge under the domination and sovereignty and rule of our king. Only he, only he is over us. We are in charge. You are in charge. You know who's in charge of you? You are. You're the one that's to blame. You're the one that is being blessed. You're the one who's living right. You're the one who's living wrong. You're in charge. You're the honest one, or you're the other one. You overweight? Don't blame McDonald's. If you're underweight, go buy a Big Mac. You're in charge. Completely. You're in charge. Things are going wrong? You're in charge. How's things at the house? You're in charge. Isn't it easy how we can, isn't it amazing how we can blame somebody else? For our deal. Let's blame the cigarette companies for giving you folk cancer who smoke. Or maybe we can sue the whiskey companies because you got cirrhosis of the liver. Who's in charge? Now, I, I just thought I'd throw that out for a preface tonight. I want you to know something. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Would you do that? 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And keep that mind and thought. Uh, keep that mind. Keep that thought in mind or something. I get older. Things get twisted around a lot. But, you know, people might start doing more if I twist them around like that because they've not been doing them for 28 years. <laughs> Amen. Look at this. You like these? You like? You love the Word of God? Now look, now look. Let, let, let's fix something tonight. Verse nineteen, First Corinthians, 
chapter 6, verse 19. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Now, where's the Holy Ghost tonight to the child of God? In you. In us. Okay. Which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Do we need uh, maybe uh, to decipher that in the Greek? Let me tell you what it means in the Greek. You are not your own. See, it's not written in Hebrew. It's Greek and English. You are not your own. Do we live like that? How close do we come in living like we are not our own? How many arguments do you think occur because you did that to me? Did you ever have an argument because they did that to the Lord? We are not our own. Is that what your Bible says? Well, I didn't think this would be this quiet, so let, we'll just change something else, and I'll preach on uh, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. You're not your own. You're bought with a price, the Bible says. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit, in your body, and in your spirit, which are who? God's. Now, what we need to do tonight is to figure out really who is in charge. The king told Joseph, Joseph, you are completely in charge. Jesus has left us in charge of his property. He even has indwelt his property. We are not our own. Notice, if you would please, there is a accountability. Joseph, you are completely in charge under me. King Pharaoh said, Joseph, you are completely in charge. Our king paid an ultimate price for us. And we have divine help beyond our imagination because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me. Now, what we need to figure out is this Christian life a life of self-effort or a life of faith? What is the only thing in this universe that pleases God. For without it, you cannot please God. Faith. Okay. So is God looking in our lives for faith 
or self-effort? Does God think that we're better little kids if we do, 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 don't, 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 don't? What is God looking for in our lives to please Him? If faith, if without faith it is impossible to please God, then what is God looking for? What did God leave us in charge of? What did God give us to please Him with? And how are we to live and treat and govern this body? By do's and don'ts or by faith? Now, you don't have to answer. I'm just, I just want you to think a little bit. Faith that works Show me your works, your faith by your works, or your, your, faith, your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. If I'm in charge, maybe we ought to look at a verse of Scripture in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and verse 12. Let's, let's do this. Let's look at Philippians 2. And verse number 12. Now watch this. Watch this now. You're in charge. That's what he told Joseph. Glorify me with your body and spirit. That's what Paul told the church. Notice verse 12 now. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, oh, I see. Oh, what we need to do is the more we work, the more we are saved. Work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. Now, let's read the next verse. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you if you're saved? Do you believe that he can control the lust, the desires, the needs. Do you believe that God can control all that in your life? Do you believe that God is able to make you fall in love with him so much that will quench your thirst that you have been addicted to all these many years? Do you believe that when he saves you, he makes a new creature out of you? And do you believe that he passes old things away and all things become new? Do, do, do you believe that? And who's in charge? Without what is impossible, please God? Really? Really? Do you have enough faith to trust God for tomorrow's 
survival. Bread, food, clothing. Do you have enough faith in God to believe that he can eradicate all the bad and fill it with good? And do you believe that God, <clears throat> who is a God of love, can take that hate and malice out of your life and replace it with love? Do you believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Do you really believe serving God is more rewarding than serving this earth? Do you believe God knows better what for you than your body? You know what usually gets us in trouble? is our body. God working in us. You see, I am responsible for me. I'm in charge of me. I, I cannot be in charge of Brother Hodges. All I can do is preach to Brother Hodges. I can preach to Brother Pickett, but I'm in charge of me. I decide what I eat, what I drink, what I lust over. What I watch, what I think, what I say. You know who's in charge of me? I'm in charge of me. I'm in charge of me. Am I going to live this life by faith or am I going to live it by sight? My call. My call. My call. My call. Am I going to be spiritually minded or worldly minded? My call. I'm going to case chase Jesus or the dollar? My call. George or Jesus, my call. I am in charge. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 9. And verse 27. I have a divine helper. I have a divine purpose. And I must allow God to work in me by faith to work out what God is working within. It's amazing to me. When I first got saved, <clears throat> nobody would tell me to quit smoking. Now, smoking won't send you to hell. just make you smell like you've been there. But I did not, and, you know, and I, I know some good guys that smoke. I really do. But I just thought it was a bad testimony for me as a Christian, and I just put them up the top of the pool, toolbox, and I worked throughout the day and just left them there. I had no trouble quitting. Uh, the same guy that quit was the same guy that started me. I did not pray and ask God to help me with it because I didn't ask God to help me start it. Why well, should I ask God to help me stop it? I, I just stopped drinking immediately. I stopped running a lot of things that I was running, I wasn't supposed to be running. I was haunting places I wasn't supposed to go. And do you know what? It bang, just like that, the desire left. It didn't take 10 years. It didn't take 20 years. It didn't take three weeks. I didn't have to go through a discipleship program. When I got saved, I knew 
I'd chased the last woman I'd ever chased. And I'd drank the last beer I ever drank. I'd cheated at the last poker game I'd ever cheated. It was just bang. Somebody else moved in. And I knew I was in charge. Who's in charge of your life? This world, your body, your lust, materialism, or God? Paul wasn't any better than us. Notice what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. Now, guess who's talking? The Apostle Paul, the author of the book. <clears throat> but I keep my body... But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I want you to look at that. Paul said, I keep. Who keeps? I keep. What we need to realize, Paul said, I'm in charge. Paul said, I keep my body in subjection. How many have ever just wanted to snatch somebody's head off, but you didn't think that was the Christian thing to do? So you just told your old temper, take a hike, shut up, sit down, we're not going to do that. That's keeping it under subjection. Do you know anybody in our church that needs to be told off? Don't do it, because I'll cry. I will absolutely cry in front of you and embarrass you to death. Do you know any policemen lately that maybe got it wrong when they gave you a ticket? 10,000 rapists walking the highways and murders on every hand, and they're giving you a ticket for going 95 through Joshua's school zone. Why in the world should they pick on you, right? Paul said, I keep my body, this, this stinking thing that's always desiring, always wanting, always pulling, always wanting to argue, this flesh, this tabernacle, I keep this beat down in subjection. I do it. You cannot blame, I cannot blame anybody else for my problems. My biggest enemy is the fellow I shave every morning. The guy that I used to comb his hair. I walked in the office today, and I, <laughs> Jim was sitting in his office. My hair. If someone sneezes now, my hair looks like it's been on a whirlwind. <laughs> I change it. One of these days, I'm going to have it all shaved off and just start playing basketball. If that make me jump higher, I'd do it. But I walked in the office today, and I'm telling you, it just looked like my hair had gone everywhere. I said, Brother Jim, I'm going to start promoting prize fights. 
Jim said, well, Don King, have at it. <laughs> this old body. Paul said, notice what he said. He said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I, should, when I preach to others, I should become a castaway. You know why Joseph was trusted to be in charge? Because when somebody wanted to do something wrong with him, he left a coat in her hand. He left. No way, Jose. I'm in charge. Isn't that nice? And when we think about that, bringing it into subjection. I looked at the Greek word today, and the Greek word comes from the root word to be a slave driver. To bring it into subjection. Paul said, I am a slave driver when it comes to this body. I will enslave it to the will of God and enslave it to holiness and enslave it to purity and enslave it to chastity. I am not going to lose my testimony for God. And it's if I don't do that, then I will become what? A castaway. Notice that? A castaway. Unapproved, worthless, reprobate. So how can I now? How can I in this world in which we live? I tell you, sometimes I'm not quick enough with the remote control. I tell you, some of the commercials are worse than the shows. So I tape the commercials for Brother Doug, and I watch the show. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes you, you, you hit that thing. I mean, would you say that we are living in a sex-saturated society? The church at Thessalonica, Paul stopped in Thessalonica for three Saturdays. Three Saturdays. He preached in the synagogue three Saturdays in Thessalonica. And folks were saved. And folks turned to God. And after three Sabbath days, they ran Paul out of town and the church was left by itself. Three Saturdays. Thessalonica, like many of the other cities in Macedonia, Greek society, Roman society was a corrupt, immoral society. Fornication was practiced religiously. In Corinth, they had a thousand temple prostitutes that came to Corinth each evening there to make their business with the sailors that transferred, that, that, that was transported in and out of there. But in Thessalonica, we have a church that has three weeks of training. Three weeks. Paul spent three weeks preaching 
soul winning in three weeks, three weeks. And they run Paul out of town. He goes to Berea and they stone him to death. He leaves there and goes to Corinth and starts the churches at Corinth. And it was at Corinth, Timothy came and reported some things going on in the Thessalonian church. And there was two problems in the church. And when we study all the book, you'll find that there's two problems. Number one, over and over and over and over and over and over again, Paul says, keep yourself from fornication. It was so rapid and so, so common in the town that it had lost its stench. It had lost its sinfulness. Did you know that 40% of all Americans believe that premarital sex is okay? 40%. Oh, that was in 1957. I wonder what it is now. I'm talking to you about a common, a common occurrence in America. The other problem at Thessalonica was that... uh, Jesus told them that the Lord was coming. How many folk believe that? Well, they so embraced it that they thought Paul meant now. And they quit work. At least they had an excuse. Jesus is coming, so they quit work. There was problems in the church. Fornication, no work. And Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and I want to read you chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and we'll close. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 7, I mean chapter 4, and verses 1 through 7. And to this young church that only had experienced three weeks of Bible training, This letter, probably some theologians believe to be the first letter written in the New Testament. Others say that maybe Matthew and Mark was written along 43 A.D. This one about 50 A.D. could be one of the first letters written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Now he writes. Now remember the problem. In fact, chastity in Thessalonica was termed as freaky. I go to our senior high schools and ask some of the folks if they're a virgin or not. And the square are the virgins. The freaks are the virgins. The weirdos are the virgins. We're just about where Thessalonica was, except on that second coming deal. Notice three principles I want to show you. Verse 1, chapter 4. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God 
so ye would abound more and more. Three weeks of training now. Think of that. Paul said, we told you how to walk, how to act. You abound in that. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel or body in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but to holiness. Now, I'm in charge. I'm not going to say you're in charge anymore. I'm in charge of this. If I get in trouble, nobody's fault but mine. You say, well, what if a sweet little thing walks in here and just sweeps you off your feet? Number one, I sweepeth not. Number two, I'm too old to sweep. Number three, if it happens, don't blame the sweet little thing. It'll be my fault. Don't excuse these deadbeat preachers who can't stay at home with their wife. Don't excuse these folks that take guns and shoot people. You say, well, it's the way they were raised. Ain't that strange? Wouldn't it be nice if we could blame mom and daddy for everything? Well, they were abused when they were kids. Buddy, you talk about somebody abused. I was abused. If I'd have known, if I see, if he'd had some more, that he'd shut up in church. If I had have known about the CPS and the AAU and the BULL and all them up, I reported my mom and dad. They're one of those guys. Watch this. I'm in charge. Regardless of what's going on in society, regardless of what's going on around, I am in charge. Notice this. Verse 4. Don't let your body control you. Verse 4. That every one of you, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, his body, in sanctification, separation, and honor. Preacher, I've not been saved long. These folks have been saved three weeks. Three Sabbath days. Acts chapter number 17. Three Sabbath days. Paul taught them. Three weeks. Paul taught them. You ought to know how to possess your body in sanctification, and in honor. Don't let your body control you. 
you let your body control you, you are out of control. He says, every one of you, notice in your Bible, every one of you, every church member, every one of you, every one of you should know how to possess your body in sanctification and in honor. Is that what your Bible said? Is that what your Bible said? I said, is that what your Bible said? Then don't get mad at me. I'm talking to me. I should know how to do that. I should live right in a sexual, saturated society. My body, I will not allow my body to dictate behavior. Little old Mary works in our office. You'd never know she's hurting. You'd never know when she's hurting. She walks in the office with the same expression on her face. She knows how to possess her vessel in sanctification and in honor. You ever met those folks that mad one day, glad the next day, happy one day, been out the next day, cussing somebody out one day, being cussed out the next day, I mean, just up and down. You ever seen anybody like that? These folks been saved three weeks. Have an amen. If you don't believe me, look in Acts chapter number 17. Three weeks of training. Three weeks of discipleship. Three weeks. And Paul says, you ought to know how to possess your body. You ought to be controlling your body. You're in charge. You guys are in charge. Let's go on because that one went over kind of like a pregnant pole vaulter. Joseph, you're in charge. Joseph, you're in charge. Me only. Only I am over you. The key to control in your body. Galatians 5 and verse 16. He that walketh in the Spirit shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is anybody here? Please don't get mad at me. I thought I'd been, I thought this is Bible. How many folk believe me Bible? You're in charge. You said, no, I'm mad at you right now. You're in charge. Not going to do you a bit of good. Just going to stretch you out. You're in charge. How can I live a godly life in a sex-saturated, sin-saturated Hollywood-saturated, flesh-saturated society. How can I live right in this stinking world? Don't take orders from my body. Number two, I've got to hurry because those that's not asleep are about to leave. Verse number five, don't live like the godless pagans around us. Verse 5. Look at this. Not in the lust of concupiscence as even as the Gentiles which know not God. My only I think my only fear is 
that if you let up for just a minute, this godless society and world will sneak in. I'm not the lust of concupiscence. Notice verse 3, abstain from fornication, loose morals. And I, I, I would have to say tonight that America probably is becoming more pagan each, each, each century. Would you say that? Uh, I know that sin has always been around since Adam and Eve been around since Lucifer fell. I, I know that. And, and I know that we've all been sinners all of our life. But it seems like that society, government, churches, everybody is more permissive now than they was a few years ago. Uh, man, when I got saved, preachers used to preach and fire fly up the nose this far. Yeah. I mean, they do everything almost except cuss. I mean, they just scream and yell and do it for two hours and a half and, and just walk down the aisle and point the finger in a guy's face and say, Hey, you need to get right with God enough. You know God's going to kill you. Right during the invitation. He said, But I wouldn't go back to that service. That fella didn't either. Has things changed? Just think what it's going to be like when your grandkids are. Just think what kind of society. You talk about shootings and rape and murder. And just somebody said the other night that two guys jumped out of the stands at Yankee Stadium. And uh, wouldn't it be something if some of them guys jumped out of the stand and toward that? center filler and he just shot him. Bang! Dead right there. That center fielder didn't know what that guy was going to do. If you're standing there in center field, two drunk idiots jump out of the stands, start running towards you, yelling and screaming, how do you know what they're going to do? You don't know what they're going to do. I mean, we're living in a society, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what they're going to do next. You say, would you shoot somebody? No, but I'd run them to death. And they'd be behind me. But, you know, you, you just don't know. But America is quickly becoming a pagan country. And the paganism, I'm sorry, but is creeping in the churches. You say, churches are full of what? That's the only thing I ask you, what? If churches only demand one hour a week, guess who's got the rest of the time? So yeah, we just, we just, we just need to be careful. Do not, do not live like godless pagans. Verse number five. Third principle, I'll close. How do I live in this life? How do I live a godly life in a bad situation? How do I live a good life in bad times? Number one, number one, what do I do? I do not allow my body to dictate to me 
what I do where I go. Number two, I do not live like godless pagans. Number three, I do not take advantage of others. Verse number six. Now, what do you think the context is here in chapter four? Could it be sexual promiscuity that's going on about? Now, let's get the context of verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother, brother in any matter. Any matter. Do not defraud your brother in any matter. Materially. You owe somebody, you pay them. If you can't pay them, you show up. When you're supposed to pay them, and tell them when you think you can pay them. Even tell them if you don't think you're ever going to pay them. Show up. Don't cheat, defraud anybody. Materially, financially, don't defraud anybody financially. Physically, abstain from what? Fornication. Don't defraud anybody in any matter. Judah defrauded his daughter-in-law when he slept with her. David defrauded Uriah with Bathsheba. Ammon defrauded Tamar. Defraud. Keep your eyes and your hands and your little idiosyncrasies off of everybody else's wife. I had a lady tell me three men in our church that's getting loose with your fingers. I'm telling you, I'll cut your arm off. Not in Christian love, just because you need your arm cut off. Keep your hands. Don't defraud anybody. You said, I can't. You're in charge. You can't keep your hands off other people's women and walk around your hand in your pocket and we'll know who you are. But I know who you are anyhow. And it's a lot easier to take this now than it would be me vote you out of this church. Keep your hand. Don't defraud. Don't defraud your brother in any manner. You say, I'm leaving. That's good. If you don't want to quit, that's the best thing for you to do. 
that wasn't in the sermon. Didn't even think about it. I just remembered somebody called me the other night and said there's three guys in our church getting real loose with their hands. <laughs> Can everybody say amen? Say, you ought not handle that in the pulpit. Shut your mouth. I'll handle it the way God wants me to handle it. And I guarantee it's a lot better for me to handle it here than it is face to face. Because I am mean as a junkyard dog. It would be better if everybody would smile that way nobody would know who you are. Still love me? Just certain things don't go around here. Amen? I haven't even thought about that. Who was that told me that, Jim? You remember? Somebody called me at the house. Somebody called me at the house. Among them other calls that I get. But I just, I don't even know. It just fit in real good right there, didn't it? said, Preacher, you're not going to build a good church or a big church that way. Well, maybe we'll build side side with a good one and not a bad, not a big one. Now let me show you something. Let me show you something that bless you. Bless you. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Wow, this is great. Verse 7. For God hath not called us to uncleanliness, but unto what? Holiness. You like that or what? That's what God's called us to do, to, to uh, you know, to, to sanctify our vessel, to know how to keep this vessel of ours, to keep us separated from sin, saturated with the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that we might move closer to holiness and further away from this stinking, godless world that we're living in. I told Brother Jim, well, the other day, I guess, me and this talking, I said, and I believe this, this is the blessed place to raise kids I know of anywhere in the world. This is a good place to raise kids and grandkids. Better than any place I know in the world. Because we have a team, we have a congregation of folks that care about our kids and care about folks serving the Lord and cares about honoring Christ with our lives. Can you say amen? But I want to leave something with you. You are in charge of youth. 